Hello, welcome to AntCast by Ant Group. It's a podcast that brings you deep into conversations with global thinkers, innovators, and entrepreneurs on groundbreaking technology and how they're shaping our lives for better or for worse. I'm your host, R.T. Warfield. As the festive time of the year approaches, I believe there are many in our audience who are preoccupied with the shopping that accompanies it. So in this episode of AntCast, we're talking about the holiday shopping season and what it means to both retail and the global supply chain. According to the National Retail Federation, over the last five years, holiday sales accounted for nearly 20% of yearly revenue for U.S. retailers. It is the most important time of the year for them. Despite the pandemic, holiday sales are predicted to grow by 85 to 10.5% this year over 2020. Also due to the pandemic, the retail industry has experienced seismic changes. Last year, according to Salesforce, digital sales during the holiday season have increased 50% globally. So, are there any new hidden trends in retail? And what does this all mean for consumers? To discuss this and more, we are joined by global retail expert, Deborah Weinswig. She is the CEO and founder of CoreSight Research. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you, I'm so honored to be here today. Thank you. So, uh, as you know, uh, and as our many, our many of our listeners know, everyone is being consumed by holiday season shopping. And uh, so I want to know from you, since you're a retail expert, uh, what kind of holiday shopping have you been doing? What kind of items have you been purchasing? Ah, so it's it's interesting because it, you know, we always like to think of ourselves as individuals, but when you actually look at the data, uh, we all find that uh, we're, we're, we're consistent with the trend. So this year I actually bought a lot more on the electronic side. So I bought new AirPod Pros and also uh, some other, you know, I got a new phone and a phone case and a screen protector and a camera protector. So yeah, it's all been, and that's what also from a gift perspective, it's been much more kind of electronics driven. And okay. that is, is quite consistent with the trends that we're seeing as well, especially around kind of Cyber Monday and even on Black Friday. I see. Well, I had heard that, you know, there's been this pent up demand and also, you know, because of the pandemic, people were not spending so much on services. So they had a little bit more disposable income and now they're spending it on actual goods. Is, is that the trend that you're seeing? You know, it has been interesting because I would say the biggest surprise to me during the pandemic, or let's call it the crisis, because we're I guess technically still in the pandemic, is that we saw this huge increase in jewelry sales. And oh. if you think about it, right, when you're on Zoom, you can only see kind of like from like, you know, shoulders up really, depending on how your camera's angled. And so as a way to kind of differentiate, right, and you don't want any kind of um, apparel that's too, too um, busy, because it will okay. distract. And so what we saw is a huge uptick in, in jewelry of all kind. And this whole idea of, you know, kind of being able to, to distinguish oneself or whatnot. And that I think we've, we've actually had companies who are kind of in the jewelry business who've had challenges in some cases, uh, actually producing enough, especially with some of the supply chain issues that we've seen. And so they've gone to like 3D printing. I mean, we, we could spend a whole podcast talking about jewelry, which, uh, you know, maybe that's in our future. But that has been to me the most interesting trend. And I, and I keep thinking, right, if I went back to write kind of, let's call it, you know, mid-19 and somebody was kind of like laying this out, would I ever think that jewelry would be a top trend? 
I would not. So I'm like, wow. even if I, you know, but, but it's been interesting. I mean, there's been so much, and I know we'll talk about it today, but just so much that's been, you know, kind of different than what retailers and brands and consumers would have expected, which is of course why we're here today, but it's it's been really fascinating. And I think we continue to learn every day. So, the, you know, the pandemic has impacted retail sales in, in many ways. Are there any other surprises to you besides the jewelry component? We would have expected, I would say on the, you know, we would have expected to see greater increase, I think, in demand for, you know, if you had had a computer at work and now you needed a computer at home. What we ended up seeing is many employers, right, very quickly pivoted to either shipping, you know, kind of shipping electronics to their employees. They, they were very, I mean, I have to say there was a lot of speed that we haven't often seen. And so I think there was, from a sales perspective, I, I, I would have seen, I would have expected in 2020 greater sales of all things kind of electronics than we actually did. And then number two, the other surprise, which was kind of in a, a different vein, I've been very surprised how quickly everyone was able to kind of spin up, you know, Bopus curbside pickup. But this idea of being able to get the consumer the good, however, you know, the consumer is the most comfortable to receive it. And, you know, and I think that's changed everyone's expectations around time and, you know, product availability and whatnot. So I think it's it's also raised the bar quite a bit. Now, for the world, globally, China produces 84% of all festive goods. They're all exported from China. And within China, 80% of those goods are produced in this one town. So in 2020, the number of those goods that they were producing were in half from 2019. But this year, the orders have rebounded 30%. However, most of the most of the companies there have just said, we're not taking any more orders because, again, back to supply chain issues. So do you know uh, about the town Iwu? Um, have you ever I heard do. of it? I do. I had the opportunity to visit. And, uh, you know, I felt last year, right, um, in 2020, that, you know, there, there was such a huge demand. It was fascinating, right, for, for decorating at home because that was kind of our, our world was like our home, right? The inside of our mm -hmm. home and the outside of our home. And so, mm -hmm. you know, we saw, we saw like just tremendous, I would say, you know, really, um, you know, the, the consumer thinking about that. And I felt that the city, right, their level of importance last year was at a, at a level that I'd never seen. And then this year was interesting, even talking to retailers, right? They, they were actually talking about, we're like, we've got to get to you before, you know, kind of like before everyone else does, because there's, they, they had predicted a lot of these, these shortages kind of coming into play. And, and this, you know, it, it was very interesting because they were already thinking about what intelligence they could, you know, kind of provide to the town. Also, even just kind of making it more real for them in some ways. And, you know, they were saying, you know, maybe we should be writing, you know, kind of letters to, you know, you know, have, having, uh, you know, some of the letters for Santa going to you. I mean, it's, it's been really interesting how the retailers have thought about it as well. And really understanding the importance of this this city, right? It's not like a, I mean they refer to it as a town, but I don't I don't consider a, a city of 1.2 million people as a town. But maybe maybe <laughs> in some right. I mean, but, but it is funny. Yeah. You know, retail is like, oh, you know, there's this like little town in China. I'm like, yeah, a little town of 1.2 million people. Um, but I but I think that there is a a responsibility in a way that you know that is taken very seriously because you're you're really creating Christmas for people around the world, and and that is you know. And, and with supply chain challenges, and we've, we've seen, you know, we talk to retailers who are like air freighting, you know, kind of tinsel, right? And when you think about, when you think about that. Um, wow, air freighting tinsel. Uh, yes. That's the first for me. Wow. Yes. 
Well, but you and and but it was actually really interesting talking to them because this whole idea, right? If, if you don't even have like the basics in stock, right? right. You, you didn't want to create, and I think we, we we had all been there, right? You wanted to keep the consumer in a in a place where they knew that you had stock because then they were going to kind of come to you first. And and this idea also, I think that it, you know, considering what we knew from uh, you know, just how difficult this all was and I think the the um the magic right that the retailers have put on this holiday season, I don't even know if they they realize it was not creating like panic buying because I will say there were there are many conversations I had with, you know, whether it was economists or strategists or whatnot, and there was a real fear that because of some of these shortages, that that we were going to start to see, you know, I mean, I, I, there were there were folks who were predicting like panic buying of like, you know, things like wrapping paper and whatnot, and and, and we've seen kind of absolutely none of that. I think that the way that the the retailers have worked with their their global suppliers, and I think it was a great example. And how they have, you know, really kind of been early. So I, I guess the pandemic maybe is forcing retailers, like you say, to be more agile, to be quicker, to change, to react. Um, so are you finding that all of them are able to do this or this is like the pain point? If they don't, if they don't, or if they're not agile, they don't react quickly, they're not learning fast. Is this going to be an issue for them? You know, it's, it's interesting. We actually... <laughs> wrote a, uh, and we're not usually quite so bold, so I have to say I was quite quite proud of, of Foresight for this, but you know, we, we published this kind of, you know, dear, dear department store letter. And the, the kind of crux of it was don't feel pressure or don't, don't make a decision that might have longer term implications you're not thinking about around spinning off your e-commerce and you know what I have to say some of what we it was really interesting how the, the letter kind of came out was basically like you need to understand new retail right and embrace it and and know what that means in terms of your business and and I have to say I think the biggest you know I mean I look at yes there are I look at there's four channels so I look at there's stores there's e-com there's live streaming and then there's like instant commerce so this idea of instant commerce being 30 minutes or less, I want to be very specific about how we define that. And, but I look at okay. all of that under this kind of, you know, what, what, whatever, I just, it's just retail. And for retailers to start to try and divide those pieces apart, I think, I think is, is something that is a challenge for them. And so this idea that, you know, we're, we're just looking at, you know, serving the customer and you know, great customer service is, is at the forefront of everything they do. And so when you have, it's not even size, it's more mindset, right? Now I wanna back up just a little bit because uh, you've mentioned a couple times live streaming retail and I, I, I don't wanna make the assumption that everybody understands what that is. So my understanding is, you know, it's referred to as live commerce, right? Which basically links up an online live stream broadcast like with like an e-commerce store and then allows viewers who are watching to shop at the same time, right? So this so this is something, I, go ahead, you tell me what I you think I will actually correct yeah. you how, so okay. when you look at the umbrella is live selling and then live underneath selling. that okay. umbrella, you have live commerce, but that's one-to-one -one. and actually that's a whole nother 
conversation, but actually one that's incredibly important. So in the early days of the pandemic, right, where, you know, I would say live selling was, was but a, uh, a dream for many, we saw, especially at the luxury side, this whole, and in some cases it was done over Zoom, there were, you know, going back to from a technology perspective, there are a lot of startups that have now put together you know, technology solutions for you to basically have the consumer kind of dial up to be able to engage, you know, with a, a live person to be able to see everything. And so what they can do, you know, there's brands like Nike and American Eagle who are doing this it's in the news. And so that you can, as a consumer, then like actually see the product and you can have them try it on. You can, you know, kind of shop, right, you know, in a in a very kind of broad manner. And so to me, this like democratizes shopping. So let's say, you know, maybe you're a PWD, a person with a disability, and, and it is challenging for you to get to a store. Now you can get to the store and you can get one-on-one -on -one service. And, you know, if you're maybe in a smaller town or whatnot. And so I, I think that there's, you know, some amazing things. You can get great customer service. That's, that to me has been amazing. But then on the other side of it, right, when you have live streaming, right, that's like one to many. I mean, hey, you can one to many through Zoom. Typically, right, you will see a, you know, kind of a, a retailer. And what we found to be most successful is when they uh, use sales associate. So this whole idea too, there's a whole other career path for sales associates. It's like professionalization of sales associates. I was going to ask you about, um, you know, online, not online, um, television shopping, like QVC, for example, like when I was a kid, I'm showing my age, but in the 80s, like, you know, <laughs> QVC, we all like, you know, one in the morning, you're watching this. I mean, it was a precursor, right, of live streaming, right? So I, I wanted to find out from you, what is the difference, you know, between that kind of like, you know, selling to many on QVC versus, you know, what you're talking about online? I think that you know, if you think about kind of QVC, it's always been, which I guess is now curate, right? It's been very, um, very much a playbook, right? There, there's a certain way that you sell, and you know, it's it's all kind of um, very much like a magazine in some ways, right? Like the magazine come to life, right? It's it's very perfect. Everything is laid mm -hmm. out in a certain way, and you know, there's mm -hmm. no mistakes. I mean, to me, the best thing I have to say, the best thing about live live streaming is the mistakes, right? You know. Someone drops something, they say the wrong brand. That's why you always really need two people on a stream just to kind of like pick up and, and correct. But right. I I think it's- So it's more it's, real, less polished, more real. It's human, right? And I mean, hey- it's human, yeah. I mean, I've seen, I've seen kind of people in live streams just go off on like these tangents and I'm like, it's like the best part of my day because I'm like, you know, and, and, and you know, there, there's a few of them that I'm, I'm particularly passionate about. And I love it when, you know, kind of people are like, going through warehouses and like digging out product. And you know, I'm like, this is cause I'm like, I'm like, I feel like I'm on this journey with them. And then right, and then it's for sale. Right. And like, you know, and like you'll ask the, you'll ask the, you know, kind of creator or the influencer, like, you know, what do you really think about this product? And they're like, no, I wouldn't buy it. And I'm like, this is great, right? Because now right. I'm really relying on them. I mean, on QVC, nobody's ever, right, you know, gonna say, don't buy this, right? No. And, and, right. and I think it's, it goes back to where it's more about them as uh, right there. They are connecting with you on like a human level, right. not on like it's a stronger connection is what you're saying. Like it that's exactly, that kind of, I, I think right. it is a stronger connection. And I think it goes back to like, that's all what we need right now too. Well, that, that is absolutely fascinating. Um, I, you know, uh, you were talking earlier about, you know, 
the impacts the supply chain. So you know, like right now, you know, we're reading all, you know all these headlines. You know, like that Christmas is going to be more expensive this year due to higher inflation. Yet, despite the higher prices, as you were saying, there's like really strong consumer consumer demand in most of the developed world. So, so what part, if any, do supply chain issues have in the inflated prices vis-a-vis strong demand? And do you see this as a temporary issue or is this something more long-term in your view? I do not view this as temporary um, because so many of the things that are driving inflation rate in terms of input costs, et cetera, those are not going to abate for quite some time. And you know, I'm, uh, I sit on a few retail boards and if you look at the cost of cotton, um, you know, it is it is up, uh, you know, right now, I think as of a week ago, up 30 plus percent year on year. And that is, uh, you know, we're using actually, so it's funny, we used to use organic cotton and now we're like looking at recycled cotton, which I actually think from a, a consumer point of view, right, for recycling is, is, is really critical and there's a, a shortage of organic cotton as well. And so I, I mean, you look at raw materials and kind of across the board for many reasons, right? There are uh, limited quantities. And so the input costs are up significantly. Then we have a labor shortage on a, on a global scale. And so labor costs are up significantly. What to me was fascinating, like let's, I, I'm a very much data driven person. Right. If we look at Costco's November sales report, right? Which was yeah. up double digits, half of that was inflation. I mean, so that is, but, but I also feel like, you know, the consumer, right there, there's been no shortage. I mean, right front page of the wall street journal that I read this weekend was about inflation. And, and I think that the consumer, and, and they're also aware not only that it's happening, but why it's happening, right? Because the supply chain. So it's not that the retailers are, are trying to kind of, you know, angle an additional, you know, kind of penny out of this transaction. It's, they're trying to cover their costs, and in some cases, right, they're, they're, they themselves are even kind of covering more of the costs and they're passing along to the consumer. And so, to me, if we, if we really take two steps back and look at what's happened this holiday season, we've had a lot less product, a lot higher margins, and to me, it's been the most sustainable shopping season we've ever seen. And I, I do hope retailers take a step That's back fascinating. and think about That's it. That's fascinating. That's so fascinating. There's a lot to learn because things are happening so fast. So you have to catch up and keep keep up on all the data, as you say, coming in. It's fascinating. So I'm wondering, uh, you know, you had mentioned earlier, you know, the online retail avenues. Do you think they're are they more resilient to these impacts of supply chain in comparison with traditional retail, or does it matter? You know, I I think that the if you're a D to C brand, right, direct to consumer, and you began your life online, you probably have a different kind of tech stack than those retailers who started in the physical world and then entered the, you know, kind of, let's call it the e-commerce, the, you know, they went from analog to digital versus digital to analog, if you will. I, you know, we've seen an incredible, I mean, I have to, so going back to, I just, I just want to fix the back. So, right, you have jewelry sure. that surprised me. And yes. then, right, we were at incredible numbers of store closures. And who right. would think that a pandemic would actually fuel less store closures? Not me. And so that also has been. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. Can I stop you? Can you? Yes, what do you mean? Stop. Uh, yeah, it, yeah so, what, do you, what does that mean? Explain that to me. What's going yeah. on? What's the, so what's what the numbers? We've 
seen is that, right, as B2C companies have started to, right, really figure out how important physical stores are because of focus, curbside, and pickup, right? And that the consumer, they want it right, right. now. And they, and they uh. also want to have, and, and they do want that kind of personal connection with, with the brand or the retailer. So they do in some, well, in many cases, they, they do want to kind of go in and kind of pick it up themselves and to engage with the retailer. And, and hey, maybe they want to like pop in and kind of like see what things are new. And so between that and the SPACs, right, which have kind of really been a backstop to a lot of bankruptcies, we have really seen a, you know, uh, a physical landscape from a, you know, a mall perspective that I, I would never have expected. And you're not gonna actually believe this, I just pulled the data as of Friday. So mm -hmm. US retailers have announced 5,090 store closures for those companies we track, which is like the 400 largest, and 5,070 store openings. So we're at like, you know, setters pair of us basically, right? Like all things being equal, we're at about the same. And that is- Right. Uh, that is uh, unbelievable, as, as far as I'm concerned, and right. it is. It, it really says something in terms of you know, kind of where we've been, where we're going, and the importance of you know, I would say physical retail, but almost in some cases, right, physical retail is ending up to be kind of almost like a, a warehouse, if you will, right? Because we are seeing stores, right, you know, deliver and you know and, and take on a different shape in terms of what the consumer expects also when they go to the store so i do think what's challenging sometimes is you know kind of online versus offline is this expectation around you know kind of product availability in a physical store and you know some of these online merchants i think they they've thought about that in a different way then those retailers, you know, who started physical and then moved into, you know, kind of online e-commerce. And so I do think that that's where some of the differences lie. But, mm -hmm. you know, it is it is really quite spectacular the, you know, the number of openings that we've seen from, you know, those companies that, you know, started off, you know, digitally native. And, you know, and this is one other thing to take a step back and think about that mall real estate is still less expensive than industrial warehouse space. And wow. so it's, you know, I, I will tell you, I predict in a few years that we see some of these malls turning into, you know, ultimately warehouses. And as of right now, you are closer to the consumer and it is cheaper space. And so, you know, there are going to be retailers who are going to kind of take a step back and really think about that. Mm -hmm. And what does it mean to be a physical retailer in this day and age? Right. Because I think it's different than it was 24 months ago. As a lot of people know, you know, retail is a very, very low margin sector. So, you know, are there any trends in the future where they could find, for retailers can find new ways uh, to, to monetize uh, what they do? Yeah, I think it's a great question because of course, you know, what we've seen over the past two years is that retailers have really started to think differently about how they do everything. And the relationships, right, we talked earlier about the relationship between the, the retailer and the landlord that has changed significantly, but also the retailers and the brands. And what, you know, I think the brands have realized is how valuable this space is on the retailer side. Now, that can mean two things, right? That can mean physical space or, you know, the digital space, if you will, this whole idea of like the digital shelf. And the, you know, and, and this allows retailers to, you know, kind of get, you know, it's called retail media, 
um, but they are allowed, you know, if you will, and I mean allowed by permission to ask for, you know, kind of a fee to be able to advertise, if you will, for the brands. And this is, you know, kind of starting to create some really unique relationships and also revenue streams for retailers. And so that's one area. The second is this idea around how do they, you know, kind of monetize the, the data that they have and they could be, you know, especially if they are vertically integrated and you know, kind of seeing what's, you know, some of the trends in their factories with regards to, you know, demand, if they're looking at, you know, kind of what's selling and, you know, what does that kind of indicate to them about the consumer? But this, this whole idea of, you know, kind of anonymizing and then, you know, kind of selling. Um, and then, you know, something, you know, we wouldn't have really even been talking about a year ago is this whole idea of the kind of metaverse and, you know, retailers getting into NFTs. I think for Double Eleven, we saw like Burberry and Longines. Uh, we've since then seen, you know, kind of American Eagle and Macy's um, with some really kind of interesting uh, steps in NFTs. And, and that is a, a completely new revenue stream that didn't, you know, didn't even exist, uh, you know, a year ago. And so I, I, I think these are just a few ways of, you know, actual monetization. And then we're seeing new ways of selling too, right? It goes back to whether it's, you know, kind of live streaming, which we expect to double in 22 or instant commerce. And so this idea that this hyper-local approach to the consumer that we, we've never really seen before. So I, I believe that the year ahead will hold some really, I would say gargantuan, which is not a word I use much, but changes, right, for, for mm -hmm. retail. And that's around monetization. And it's also around their relationship with the consumer in terms of how they get product to them. And, and I think they'll learn a lot along the way. And I do think, you know, sustainability is going to continue to be an even bigger topic. And you know, this idea that, you know, whether it's Wall Street or consumers or employees, they may start to ask, you know, kind of retailers to put some numbers uh, around what they're doing in a way that we haven't seen before so that the consumer can make a decision on who to shop based on some kind of scoring. Well, it's interesting and scary and actually it sounds very positive because, you know, I think most people reading headlines, listening to the news, think, oh, the retail sector is, you know, really struggling. There's so many issues. And, and a lot of the things you brought up in this podcast uh, just totally blew all that out of the water. Like there's a lot of opportunities, a lot of changes. But I think the important thing you're saying is they need to be agile and they need to communicate well with their customers. That's I, I, think, I think the communication pieces. You know, I can't, I don't even think I can overstate that if I tried. I think that that will, those who can figure out how to have that communication channel and whether that's, you know, kind of live streaming or whether that is like post-purchase, you know, kind of opt-in text or whatever it is, I think that there is a, an element there unlike anything that we've seen. And, you know, as we're starting to see retailers get more into healthcare and mental health and whatnot, I just, I feel like there is a whole other i mean that's a whole nother you know, kind of opportunity but you know this idea that they can also potentially address things for consumers before maybe even the consumers realize it about themselves is, is really quite exciting deborah i cannot tell you how fascinating this has been i've learned so much from this conversation wow my if you could see my eyes <laughs> nobody can see it on a podcast but like just like i just i was like one thing after another like just I, I learned so much. Thank you so much for, for talking to us today. I really do appreciate it. No, it's, it's been really enjoyable. And I think that, you know, 
all of us kind of spending time, you know, asking questions, being curious. And, you know, I think this whole idea of, you know, there, there are no real mistakes, right? And even like I said, even if you're in a live stream and you say the wrong brand, it's okay because there's somebody else there who's going to step in right. and, and really have your back. And I think that that is going back to this holiday season, right? There's all kinds of ways to create the magic and, you know, but we have to do it together. And I think that that to me is what's most important. That's perfect for the holiday season. Perfect message. Thank you so much. That was global retail expert, Deborah Weinswig. She's the CEO and founder of CoreSite Research. Thanks again. Happy holidays, Deborah. Thank you so much. That's it for this edition of AntCast. So you do not miss a single episode. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm your host, R.T. Warfield, coming to you from London. Thank you for listening. Talk to you again soon.